Hello and a very warm welcome to Changing World New Opportunities. I'm Louise Farrand. And I'm Lorna Kennedy. In our second season of the podcast, we're interviewing senior investment figures from Master Trust Pension Schemes. We're asking them to reflect on the investment challenges facing them as DC leaders. What are they excited about and what's keeping them awake at night? If you'd like to find out as soon as a new episode comes out, you could subscribe to our email alert at www.dcin.co.uk and click hear more. Or you could follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at DCIF underscore UK. On with the show. Hi, Lona, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Louise. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We had a really good chat this week, didn't we, to Emma Matthews, Head of Investment at Now Pensions. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really interesting. And I loved when Emma was telling us about her job experience and route to DC and how her retail experience has really brought a different perspective to DC and helped her understand members. Yeah. And actually, if you listen to the chat we had with her, she does keep coming back to the member, which I thought was so interesting and important. You know, that's why we're all here, isn't it? Absolutely. And I guess shining a light on the different types of members that they have in their scheme. So she chatted a bit about gig economy workers and how they've thought about that. She talked about her focus groups that they'd had on responsible investment. So yes, just that real client focus and also very aware of the diversity of their membership. Yeah. And it also felt like investment-wise, she wasn't standing still. When we spoke to them going through a strategic investment review, and I think we all agreed it'd be great to have another chat to her once she can talk a little bit about some of the changes that they're introducing as part of that. So hopefully we'll be able to catch up with her again. That'll be good, won't it? It'll be good to hear the results of that review once we've got through it all. Yeah. So without any further ado, we will pass on to our chat to Emma. Hi, Emma. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We thought we might start off by asking you the same question we're asking lots of people about. Tell us just a bit about you and your career path. How did you get to where you are? And I think particularly notable, I mean, you're still in your early 30s. I mean, that's amazing. So tell us all and anyone else who's in there sort of younger in life and wants to get to where you are. How did you get here? Thank you. I've been really lucky, if I'm honest, with the career that I've had to date. I've had a really varied career as well and worked with amazing people that have mentored me and helped me in my development. I've been here a little while now, but as you said, yes, probably at the younger, <laughs> younger end, but it hasn't stopped me at all. I'm perhaps sometimes a little bit more blunt or less refined in how I say things, but that varied experience is, I think, really helpful in the career that I've had and also what I'm doing. I've worked with retail clients, but I've also worked with some of the largest DB pension schemes in the country and applying those varied solutions. I really believe that helps us solve the issues that we come up against when working with our DC membership. Where did your career start then? So it actually started at a wealth manager, a British wealth manager called Charles Stanley, which is headquartered just over the road. I started there a little over 10 years ago and again, very lucky, worked with an absolutely fantastic team who I worked with all the way through my time there and was really lucky and really fortunate with the team I worked with. I was able to work with some incredible clients and work with such a variety of clients as well, from charities through to pension schemes and also individuals. 
And starting out in the retail world, do you feel like that's helped you looking at the challenges that DC Savers face? 100%. 100%. I don't know too many people that have done stints in retail and institutional. I don't know many that have made the move, but I would encourage anyone to consider seeing both sides. On the retail side, you're very much working with individuals. Sometimes they may be elective retail clients, but if still for the role that I'm in now, it really gives me a a familiarity with that end consumer of the solutions that we develop. Thank you very much. Now, maybe if we could cast our minds back to last year, 2022 was pretty volatile for investors, particularly around about the autumn with the mini budget, the infamous mini budget. How did you fare through that period? And were there any lessons that you've taken from last year? Yeah, so 2022 was definitely a challenging year and I feel it served as a reminder as to the importance of diversification, but also remembering that those traditionally less risky assets still can have that volatility. I always remember one of my first lecturers when learning about investment said bonds can be like crocodiles if they're low and long, so low interest rates, long duration, they can really have a bite to them. And we really saw that during 2022 We saw the impact mostly in DB pension schemes, but here at now we do believe in a diversified approach. So we do hold some bonds in the growth fund and that did hurt for a period. What we saw elsewhere in the market was some schemes were holding those sorts of bonds for members nearer retirement as well. What we favoured for our members is to have shorter duration bonds, more liquid assets, as generally we're seeing them take cash lump sums at retirement. We've talked a lot about members throughout our conversation. Can you tell us about the membership profile of Scheme? Yeah, of course. So we have, I want to say, around 2 million members at the moment. And they are very varied by age and by where they are in that savings journey and how they're preparing for retirement. But something we're really proud of is how we have worked with gig economy members who may not necessarily be saving consistently, and how we can best support them, not just through the investments and the solution we develop, but also how we campaign for change and encourage fair pensions for all. We actually recently sat down with a small number of our members and undertook some focus groups talking about investment and responsible investment. And that was a really valuable reminder of how they're looking at their pension that they have with us, how they look at their pension that they have with other pension schemes, and also how they think about investing too. We can all sit around and talk about investment as complicated as we can get but ultimately we're here to do the best thing we can for them. I'm so interested in your focus groups and responsible investment. <laughs> um, so the DCIF we've just released literally a few days ago some of our research on responsible investment among consumers and since 2018 we've done four of the same kind of repeatable sets of consumer questions so it's trackable and understanding and awareness of what responsible investment means has hovered around 18 percent across the four surveys it's gone up a little bit down a little bit but nothing significant really has changed how did the members in your focus groups talk about responsible investment and was there anything that you kind of took away from the conversations particularly i'd actually say they spoke about it in a very varied manner some people were passionate and they had strong views about how we should be investing. And others potentially even felt that it had been talked about too much. It just really? wasn't of interest to them. We were really mindful in the conversations we had. We brought in an independent party. We didn't want to lead the witness, so as to say. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant to hear from them about some members might say, 
I just want the best outcome. I don't mind. And others would say, well, it's fundamental to me having the best retirement I can. So it's really important. Generally, I would say there was the themes that you could draw out is pointing back to us and saying, well, you're responsible, look after me, but also tell us more. So something that I'm a strong supporter of is communicating with members and challenging ourselves on how we can communicate best with members. I'd say as an industry, we don't have lots of member engagement. I'd love to see that change over time. How do you think about that member engagement? Because I get it, if you're 30 or 40, it's still a long time until you retire. So it's very hard to get people excited about something that's far in the future. <laughs> yeah. So how do you get them engaged? What kind of tools do you think about? It's a real challenge. And it's something that we're putting a lot of thought into at the moment. We know it's an industry-wide challenge. And so focus groups is an example. We felt it was important to sit down with some members and see if it helped them, helped us to better serve them. So no, it's very much a challenge that we're considering at the moment and hoping to evolve in time. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. Perfect. So we were just talking about all the uncertainty surrounding retirement and how people will take their money. I think as investors, that's a really difficult conundrum, isn't it? How do you build a strategy when you don't know when people retire and how they're taking their money? Is is that something you talked about in the focus groups or was it were you more focused on responsible investment? So this focus group that I have in mind was very much focused on responsible investments and looking to understand how our members were thinking about responsible investment expected uh, from a responsible investment. The focus groups themselves, naturally, we went on a bit of a journey. We spoke about the pension that we offer them, investments, and asked them a sort of broad spectrum of questions. But it is a really good question. And when you don't have as much engagement as I'd love, I'd love everybody to just phone up and ask me questions every day sometimes. I realise that probably it'd be a struggle with my time. But no, you do struggle to get member engagement. And we're actually going through our triennial strategic investment review at the moment. And starting with the member, it has to be where you start. And so we've been challenging ourselves on how do we build the most accurate picture of our members and considering how we provide them with a default investment strategy that is well catered to such a broad range of members at different stages of their savings journey. And how do we make sure it's right for them when we struggle with that engagement? So we strive to continue to evolve how we consider our members going back through the data that we have, considering how they've engaged with us, how have they engaged with us in our call centres, how have they engaged with us with our website and how have they engaged with us with our focus group. So we've tried to pull on any data we can interpret about our members, as well as consider what else has been identified and researched in the industry. Great. And then trying to deal with that uncertainty of somebody telling you they're going to retire when they're... 65 yeah <laughs> and then deciding no I've changed my mind I'm going to mm. go when I'm 58 <laughs> 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 yeah of course and we want to encourage members to engage with us not just when they first sign up but also throughout that journey and when they do have a few years to go before they retire it's really important that they consider and so we're mindful in how we're communicating with our members and when we communicate with our members to encourage them to look at what they've said is it still right for them And now we implement with a lifestyling approach. And so, of course, it does mean that we will gradually de-risk over time. So not so problematic in your young years because 
we'll grow assets for a period of time before we start to de-risk. But very much important as we start to go on that de-risking journey towards retirement. Emma, can we quickly talk about lifestyling and why you favour lifestyling over target date funds? Yeah, of course. So lifestyling and target date funds are two of the probably most common ways of allocating two assets over time for members. With target date funds, it's very much focused on you're retiring at, say, 2040. And so you'll go into that 2040 fund. At now, we favour the lifestyling approach. We feel as though it's more efficient to implement, which helps with making sure that we're delivering value for money for our members. It also means that we don't arguably potentially with target date funds, it could put too much emphasis solely on age and focusing there. So we feel that it also gives us more flexibility to solve our wider member considerations. When implementing, it means that we only need to have a few funds as opposed to a fund per year, which again helps just eke out that best value for money that we can deliver to our members. The way we actually implement it here at now, because we work with an investment manager very closely, it also means we're able to overcome some of the sort of cons to lifestyling that get considered or perhaps pros to target date funds, such as being able to evolve the investments within a fund and be a bit more flexible. We spoke about private markets and integrating an allocation through time. Because of the way we work with our investment manager, and because of the way that we structure the funds, it means that we can flex through time. And an area that's been particularly important in recent years is with our responsible investment approach and striving to allocate to more assets that meet the trustees' responsible investment beliefs and objectives. And actually, I worked out earlier that since I've been working with now, we've allocated over £2 billion into responsible investments. Now, it's not the only consideration. We are looking at how do we raise the bar? How do we continue to evolve? And it's not just about allocation. It is also about what we're doing with those assets, yeah. how we engage, how we vote as well. And, you know, we can push forward with that through time, with that flexibility. Perfect. I'd love to hear a bit more about what's under the bonnet in terms of investments. I mean, <laughs> one thing that we've been talking about in our conversation so far is mansion house reforms and private markets. I just wondered how are you approaching investing in that area if you are and could you say a bit about that? Of course. So when we are looking at how best to grow the pension savings of our members, we do believe in a well-diversified investment approach. We're very mindful that members could be saving with us for a very long time, but at the same time, they're with us on that journey. And so they can see the fluctuations in pot value. And that is to be expected, you know, you do have to take risk to achieve a return. But as I said, we do believe in diversification and within the investment strategy at the moment, you know, we're typically allocating to traditional assets such as equities and bonds, but we do consider investing in other sorts of assets. And you mentioned mansion house reforms. So Illiquids is, has been permitted in the portfolio for a while now. What we're really mindful of is how best to allocate and be mindful of DC. Members could take their pots at any time. And so it's how do we invest in a way that considers that liquidity? I suspect where we would get to would be to build up an allocation over time into our diversified growth fund. It's something that we're supportive of. So we've been involved with the mansion house reforms. 
we are supportive of building up an allocation over time. We haven't set out over what time period that would be yet, but it is something we're researching and actively discussing. And your diversified funds will have allocations within them to to more liquid assets. That's the ambition over time, yes. And what do you think about the implicit UK focus of Mansion House? So it seems like there's a real push to get pension schemes into UK private equity Mm -hmm. without saying the word UK. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think about that and how that ties in with fiduciary duty and... Yeah, of course. So, and it's why we haven't allocated so far. We're very mindful that it has to be done in a gradual, well-diversified way. And we believe that any allocation should come back to our members. What is it? What is best in their interests? Fiduciary duty of the trustees, as you mentioned, it's not that we wouldn't allocate to the UK, but we wouldn't necessarily want to allocate to the UK we haven't made that decision yet with the way that we think about our members it informs not only the investment strategy but it also informs our sustainability focus so we have three sustainability priorities which inform our engagement program those are climate action living wages and gender equality and you'll note that there's two in the s of esg there because when we think about our members we're very mindful that we have a very diverse membership we do have underpensioned populations in there. And so we focus on that S. I'd like to see, and this is personal here, but I would like to see with our private markets allocation that we are mindful of those priorities when we're allocating. It's really interesting. Tell me a bit more about your focus on those social issues. I think that's so important. And I know now pensions have done some amazing work in terms of the gender pensions reporting that you've done and it's something we watch at the DCIF for sure and we're always thinking about can we do any research to kind of support in that area how do you kind of bring those social issues into your portfolio and how's your thinking evolving on that yeah of course so we look at our members as I said look at who they are build a picture of who they are we recognize that as I said already we've got a very broad spectrum and you know I can't take the credit there's a fantastic team here that have done so much on dependent populations and striving for fair pensions for all To me, it's raising awareness, campaigning for change, whether that be within regulation or raising just broader awareness. But we also believe that we can integrate that into the investment strategy that we employ for our members. I suppose the challenge is, can we support them more than the investment growth that they can achieve whilst meeting their fiduciary duty, whilst acting in all of our members' best interests? We believe we can by integrating those social issues into more of our engagement side. So, for example, the trustees have partnered with other investors in the market and participated in initiatives, written out to certain companies where we don't necessarily agree with their policies or feel as though certain employers can do better on living wages or could be gender equality. We have also done that with more the climate side as well. So at the moment, we're focusing on it through engagement and when it comes to the investment strategy. And you mentioned climate there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where you are on your net zero journey? Definitely. So we committed to a net zero targets. We originally aimed for 2050. We then added an objective to see a 50% reduction by 2030. We're actually next month going to release our second TCFD report, which I'm pleased to say does show a reduction 
in our scope one and scope two emissions. But I would also highlight the short term and long term. We believe that divestment is also about engagement. So we want to partner on that journey so that we can have that conviction of hitting net zero by 2050. Perfect. I think for us at the DCIF, we've also just done some research on TCFD and we're hearing lots about TNFD at the moment. How much is TNFD on on your radar? It's definitely on our radar and it's something that we've been speaking to our trustees about. So sustainability is something that they spend a lot of time thinking about and we make sure that we have at least an annual day, training day and get together to talk about sustainable and responsible investment issues in the portfolio and also emerging areas to give more focus to and and TNFD very much came up in in that last session. Perfect. I just think you'll have a T maybe you'll have a TNFD report here as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird if it weird to say I weirdly enjoy it. It's a bit peculiar. I wonder if you could describe to us what a typical day looks like and Oh I don't I wouldn't say there's a typical day I thought about this the other day actually and it is varied I still have those habits of I love to wake up with a cup of tea and sit watching Bloomberg to see what's going on in markets and where direction of markets may be but when we think about how best to invest for our members it's much more about the long term and starting with the end in mind and working back and how can we best deliver a, a pot for them at retirement? Mm. When in my day-to-day, it's much more focused on investment strategy and investment proposition as opposed to buying and selling shares as it once was. And making sure that we're continually striving to evolve as well. I believe that you know you might have done well and are continuing to do well, but you should always strive for better. So um, always testing ourselves on, on how can we eke out that little bit more. Yeah. So what do your office days look like? Are you in constant meetings or are you at your desk a bit? They do tend to be rather busy. Early starts, so love to get on the train. A cup of tea is essential. And get a couple of hours under my belt before getting into the office. But yeah, back-to-back meetings generally. And that could be anything from sitting down with our investment manager to go through performance, potential asset changes within the portfolio, and then also reporting that back to our trustees and internally as well. And then when you're working from home, do you find your days are quite different or do they look quite similar? I'd say they look quite different. London days are full of energy, back-to-back meetings. I thrive in that environment. Whereas home days, you can sit down, you can think, you can process and you can research as well. One of the benefits I feel I've had in my career is having that retail lens and having that wider institutional lens there's been some fantastic solutions in those areas and we should always try and learn from each other in how we can evolve what we do. Cool. So what's keeping you awake at night, Emma, if anything? (laughs) Or are you a very good sleeper after your busy day? (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So I'd probably say it's less directly related to investment. I would say the likes more of the social side Mm -hmm. at the moment. We've seen lots of headlines around cost of living crisis dependent on our member that could be impacting their ability to save into their pension and their long-term future and that worries me in personal setting I've got friends that are very sensible with how they're saving and have the ability to save I have other friends that are really struggling at the moment and that just worries me because I just hate the thought of getting however many years into the future and and people struggling with their retirement yeah. and feel that kind of 
sense of responsibility, I suppose, to yeah. give them the best opportunity. Yeah, of can. course. We're here for our members, so everything has to start and end with them. Well, the DCIF is obviously it's a clutch of asset managers. So is that the plural? I don't know. <laughs> I think it could be probably if you were someone else, you could come up with a nastier phrase than that. But I'll, I'll, I'll stick with clutch. <laughs> if you had one ask of an asset manager, what would it be? I'd probably say collaboration at the moment. We're supportive of introducing private markets into the portfolio, supportive of evolving it through time, but I suspect we, like others, struggle with how to best deliver solutions versus fees and also being creative in how those solutions are implemented. You know, DC is a very different part of the market to DB and the wider world. It also requires different solutions too. When you're thinking about a DC member, it's their money, it's their risk, and we need to be mindful of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. Well, Emma, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you for having me. Really fascinating. Um, Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changing Worlds New Opportunities, brought to you by the DC Investment Forum. Head over to dcif.co.uk, where you can read all the research the DCIF publishes, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcasting platform. See you next time.